Some people would call Dr. Hormoz Shariat an Islamophobe, but that title doesn't fit. I love Muslims. I've given my life to serve them. Dr. Hormoz speaks every day to thousands of people in Iran, people who've seen firsthand that Islam is not the answer. The rejection of Islam in Iran is so wide and so deep. Today, he sees what happened in Iran after the Islamic Revolution happening again, this time with ISIS. What the uh, Islamic government of Iran did for Shiites, yes, uh, ISIS is doing for Sunnis, which is uh, causing them to question. Questioning Islam is a major step to salvation. You'll be thrilled by the stories of how God is moving in Iran, sparking revival fires across that nation. But the Islamic government is fighting back. Learn more right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs radio. We have a very special guest today that we're going to talk with. Uh, Dr. Hormoz Shariat is the founder and the president of Iran Alive Ministries. Uh, Joel Rosenberg has called him the Billy Graham of Iran. Uh, this is a guy who, who speaks by satellite television literally to millions of Persians every single day. Uh, Dr. Hormoz, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Well, thank you, Todd, for inviting me to share what God is doing. I want our listeners to know this is one of my heroes. This is somebody who uh, is incredibly sold out for the kingdom. He has a great love for people, a great love for Muslims, uh, and that comes through every single day in the television broadcast. And I know you get phone calls, even though it's illegal for Iranians to call you, even though the government threatens them if they call you, they still pick up the phone and call and say, God bless you, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry and, and how you're reaching into the lives of Iranians. Well, we are so thankful to the Lord that has positioned us to have such an impact in Iran. It's all Him. He has prepared the nation. Millions of hearts are open to the gospel. The gospel itself is powerful. Once you proclaim it, you see the result. We can't get, take the credit at all. So uh, God uh, has used us to uh, use media, not just uh, television, satellite television, but also online to help people in Iran to know about Christ and to experience his love, experience his salvation, and a transformation of lives. Uh, they are ready. They are hungry. They are at the bottom of their uh, hope. I mean, there is nothing good in their lives. And they have already rejected Islam, and they are ready for the gospel. They are ready for some good news, and we have it. Not just good news to give them hope, but to give them a new life. And many are experiencing that. I wanted to talk a little bit about something you said, because you mentioned the fact that they've rejected Islam. And I know I've heard you say uh, Ayatollah Khomeini was the greatest missionary in the history of Iran. He turned so many people on to the gospel. Talk a little bit about that and how you've seen the cycle through the time since the Iranian Revolution 
of the people at first welcoming this. Hey, this is great. We're going to be an Islamic country. Now coming to the point where many of them say Islam is broken. We don't want any part of that. Well, it's a spiritual journey. It, that's why the rejection of Islam in Iran is so wide and so deep because it wasn't overnight. It took over 30 years. When I first came to Christ about the time of revolution in 1980, uh, Iranians had just turned to Islam. Even the secular ones were saying, Islam is the way. Look what it's doing. Uh, it has uh, defeated superpower USA. Islam is going to take over the world. Be ready to follow it. Be ready to give our lives to it. And they did. In Iran-Iraq war, million people died. Uh, that was 80s. And I was, was sharing the gospel. People ridiculed me. So you would betray your country. Islam is the way. Why did you change? Now you turn into 90s. The 90s people started questioning. And, but their question was this. It, there's nothing wrong with Islam itself. It's the government that implemented Islam wrong. So there is some problems in our country, but it's not. it hasn't anything to do with Islam. Because the government was the mullahs. The, the government said, we're doing everything according to Islam. Exactly. But as you say, the people transitioned to say, okay, it must not be a problem with Islam, but the government must be doing it wrong. That's right. Well, uh, remember, it's an Islamic government. Uh, that's a good and bad. Uh, <laughs> Islam is the government. Government is Islam. If they accept Islam, they accept the government. If they reject the government, reject Islam, they, they, they can't separate that. So Islam for them and the government that implemented. So they started questioning, there is problems here. The government is uh, so brutal, killed people. It's not, there's injustice. We thought they're going to bring heaven on earth. It hasn't happened. But their conclusion in the 90s was, there's nothing wrong with Islam. It's the government that implemented Islam wrong. Another 10 years, the year 2000 and 2000 till 2010. This is the trend I saw. People starting, uh, started to say, no, there is a fundamental problem with Islam itself. They looked at Islam. They studied it. They compared it objectively. They came to conclusion that Islam is not the answer. It's actually the source of our problem. So it's not just the government. It's Islam has big problems. That 2010 and on, there is a new movement. I see that. I see that, and it's growing. I call it militancy against Islam. People are not saying anymore, well, uh, Islam is not for me. Uh, I want something else. They've passed that point. They are saying more and more, if we want to have a future for our country, we have to destroy Islam. There is a wow. growing hatred. At, in Five, ten years ago, they, even those who rejected Islam, they were respectful. If one, I was reading the blog, and if somebody insulted Muhammad, the, the rest of people on the blog would say, why, why, did, why did you do that? No, no, I, I, if you don't believe in Muhammad, that's okay, but keep respect. Not anymore. Once somebody respects Muhammad, you see many, many comments after that. And uh, so Islam has been uprooted in the hearts of people. Now, another factor, Todd, is that now there's a younger generation I call them the second generation of Muslim rejectors. These are younger, under 20. And they have grown up in a house that has rejected Islam. So there is no absolutely no root of Islam in them. 
the parents, when I was witnessing to their parents, even when they wanted to come to Christ, they would struggle. Well, what do I do with Muhammad? What do I do with Allah? Uh, they were fearful. What do I do with government? C could arrest me? They were struggling with Islam even when they were rejecting it. The new generation, Todd, no problem. This is normal. They call me. They say, I was watching a program, and something in me said I need Jesus. I want him. No question, what do I do with Muhammad? What do I do with Islam? Um, this is typical. 20, 22-year-olds call, oh, I, you know, I've, I've been in sin. I've been uh, in immoral relationships, drugs, since I was 14. I've tried that kind of so-called free freedom. I hate it. I hate myself. I hate life. What do I do? I need salvation. Again, no mention of yeah. Islam. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. This is a generation, and this is, I think, incredibly important for us as Americans to understand. This is an entire generation. They give no credence to Islam. They did not grow up praying five times a day or any of that. They essentially are a secular, non-believing generation, in some ways, interestingly, similar to a generation that's growing up in America with less and less Christian influence, they're growing up with less and less Islamic influence. Exactly. Well, but there's one difference, though. Uh, in the West, in America, secularism is uh, has been here for generations. It's very solid and uh, very deep belief in it. In Iran, it's the first generation of secularism. So the love of God, the hunger for God still there, even though in their mind uh, they, they believe secularism is the answer. They want it, but there's still some spirituality there, a hunger for God. That has not been uprooted. Maybe it takes several generations to get to where America is. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to shift gears a little bit because we've talked about uh, Iran and the Shia and the government there, which has been in place for 30-plus years. I want to talk a little bit about the Islamic State because I think you and I both agree on this. They're doing now in Syria and Iraq uh, what the Ayatollahs did in 1979 in Iran. They're bringing this, okay, we're going to run everything according to Islam. We're going to do exactly what Muhammad would do. Uh, and do you see that as well, that, that this is starting to open the eyes of Muslims? Exactly. What's... Uh... Islamic government of Iran did for Shiites, as ISIS is doing for Sunnis, which is uh, causing them to question. Questioning Islam is a major step to salvation, and Muslims are not allowed to question their faith. I remember uh, when I was a research scientist witnessing to um, Muslim PhDs, okay, they were famous for in their field, and very logical, very logical, very logical. But when it got to Islam, their mind shut down. They would not dare to think logically about Islam and question it. It's a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. It's a spirit that blinds you, as the Bible talks about it. Uh, so what ISIS is doing is forcing Sunnis to question is this true Islam? Because they say we are true Muslims. Right. And uh, other Muslims, no, you're not. They say, yes, we are. No, they are not. And so <laughs> kind of well, maybe let me let me prove to you, ISIS, 
let me prove to you that you are not following Quran. So they get to an have another look at Quran, and many of them, they come out and says, oh my God. Once they study Quran objectively, they come, oh my God, ISIS, they are true Muslims. So there's no, the problem is not with ISIS, Islam is this. Mm -hmm. So that wakes them up spiritually, and that's why you see many come to Christ because of ISIS or ISIS helping them to come to Christ. Do you think that that's happening faster with ISIS than it did with the Islamic Republic of Iran because perhaps of the media, the fact that, I mean, there's videos online, there's all this stuff, and they can see the evil up close, uh, you know, beheadings and shootings and whatever else you want to watch, you can go watch it. Is that speeding that process along? I totally agree with you. I, I think speeding up for two reasons. ISIS is not covering it up. They intentionally broadcast those uh, executions, and Iranian government uh, covered it up for many years, what, what they were doing, and uh, social media. Uh, I believe if there was social media in Iran in the 80s, the history will be different. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is certainly, and Iranians are technologically savvy. You talk about the fact that they're accessing your programs online, they're accessing them on their phones, they're texting back to you. Uh, so it is, it is a generation and a part of the world that's very comfortable with technology, and obviously God is using that. That's right. Irani Iranian young people especially, um, they are very familiar. Iran uh, in the Middle East uh, is number one in, in terms of uh, using Internet and accessing to Internet. I was reading an article, Iran is number three in the world in the blog. Wow. Uh, business. I mean, uh, considering all the great nations. So uh, Iran and Iranian young people know, even with the, with the control the government has, uh, blocking the websites, controlling the uh, internet, they find a way to go around it. For example, our Facebook, by the way, phone calls for us is flat. It's not growing, it's not falling. It's just same numbers for the last three, four years. But the interaction on Facebook is exploding. And Facebook is blocked by the government of Iran but it's the number one visited <laughs> website in Iran. And I'll give you an a, example. We put our videos, short videos on Facebook. Last year, over four and a half million people wow. watched our videos on, on the Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I, I'm reminded of the, the fact that satellite dishes are also illegal in Iran, and yet we see pictures where every spare surface of the roof is covered with satellite dishes. Facebook is illegal, but they still access that. Uh, so clearly they're willing to work around uh, the government regulations. I, I want to go back to ISIS for just a second because uh, you said something this morning as you shared in our VOM chapel. Uh, you know, the, the mainstream media here in the U.S., they will sometimes share the stories of ISIS. When they do, if they do, they always kind of slant it as, you know, this is, these guys aren't really Muslims. You know, they're extremists, they're religious extremists, they're something, anything other than saying these guys are Muslims. You have grew up in a Muslim household. You grew up in a Muslim country. You have studied Islam for decades. How do you respond to that, and how do you tell people to, to discern 
what is true Islam and what is somebody who's just crazy? You know, you have something in the West called politically, politically correctness, <laughs> which means you cannot tell the truth. So if I'm politically correct, I'm sorry, I cannot answer you. But I will answer it because I know in my heart I love Muslims. I've given my life to serve them, and I know God loves them. I'm not uh, Islamophobic. I'm, I'm Islamophilic. I love them. Okay, <laughs> that's my problem. But that makes you to look at it objectively. Um, when you look at it objectively and, and tell the truth, in, in the West, even in the government, in the news, in the media, they don't address the Islamic side of ISIS. They look. They say they're fanatic. They don't even use Islam in, in any of their uh, talk about ISIS. But they themselves always, anything they do, they claim it's Islam. They believe in Islam. They're doing the will of Allah. They're following, they're obeying the uh, commandments in Quran. So the question is, they claim that they're true Muslims. And who are we, by the way, in the West? Are we the authority to say who is a Muslim, who's not a good Muslim? Who are we? We should have an objective method of evaluating. And uh, the, the most logical way of evaluating anybody's faith, Christian faith. If you want to evaluate a Christian faith, uh, objectively, you say whoever follows the teachings of Christ more closely, obeys him, and follows his example, he's a good Christian. Right. Let, let's not look at what they say. Let's look at how they live. That's right. Um, so you look at ISIS, they are following the teachings of Quran, and they're following the examples of Muhammad very closely. Read your history. Read the history that Sunnis scholars have written. I'm not saying people are opposed to Islam. No, read their own history. You see that's exactly what Prophet Muhammad did. And some, again, say, no, ISIS is the, not interpreting um, the Quran right. But did Muhammad interpret his own word right? Because he's, <laughs> he was doing the same thing. So they are interpreting it right, and they are doing what Muhammad did, and they're obeying. Now, may I challenge? May I challenge here? Absolutely. Okay. It's ISIS. They're not fanatics. They're committed. And my challenge is, are we committed? Are we committed to our God as much as they're committed to their God? It's a battle of commitment. It's a battle of love and obedience. They are obeying their God unto the death. Yep, to the point of death. Are we doing it? And their, their call is to bring death. We are, our call is to love and bring life. But they are doing it. They're ready to die for their, what they believe. Are we ready to live for it? And the mandate, by the way, they have a mandate to take over the world by force, by violence. And by the way, we have a mandate. Christ gave us a mandate to uh, share the gospel, the good news with the whole world. We, you know, ISIS helping Muslims to come to Christ, but it also helping Christians <laughs> because it's challenging us. Don't write that up. Let us be challenged. They are obeying. They are doing what their book is telling them and what their God is telling them. And are we as committed as they are? Do we love as much as they hate? 
Do we obey the Lord? We say, Jesus says, how can you say you love me if you don't obey me? Are we, we say, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Are we obeying his commandments? Are we walking with him? Are we sharing his love with the world? Because the ISIS is sharing the hatred, the violence with the world. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. You're listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're speaking today with Dr. Hormoz Shariat. He is the founder and the president of Iran Alive Ministries. Uh, he broadcasts by satellite television into Iran. Uh, Dr. Hormoz, I, I want to ask, because we've talked about the hunger for the gospel, we've talked about how many people in Iran are coming to Christ, what is the state of the church? Uh, because I know the Iranian government obviously is not happy about all these people coming to Christ. What's the state of the church right now? The church is growing, but it's weak. Uh, it needs a lot of help for maturity. Uh, salvation is easy. You share the gospel. One of our leaders in Iran was telling me, Pastor Ormos, we are not following. You know, I developed the evangelism course uh, experience I had with leading Muslims to Christ over the last 25, 30 years. I put it in a course. And I was teaching him, and he came and said, Pastor Obos, we are not following your teachings anymore. <laughs> we, uh, I said, what? This is the way to present the gospel. He said, why don't you use it? These people inside Iran, they said, we don't need it. He said, the people are so hungry. All I do, he said, so what do you do? He said, all I do is go to a party, a dinner, a wedding where people gathered, and all I say is, hey, guys, I'm a Christian. And I sit down, and those who are interested, they gather around me without fighting. They just have sincere questions. And every time I'm leading people to Christ. Wow. Who needs apologetics, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't need your course. Yeah, uh, I just right. need to go to more parties. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that, that's the state. So the evangelism in Iran uh, are, is easy. People are ready, and many are coming to Christ. Now, the challenge is what do you do with them? Because the government has closed the building churches, has closed the, and arrested house church leaders and closed many of them. The few that are left are very weak, led by new believers themselves. Um, government, as a policy, has forced thousands and tens of thousands of leaders. Leaders of building churches, house churches, are not living in Iran anymore. So there's a vacuum of leadership, eldership in Iran. And that's what we need to pray and work together to help the, the young church in Iran to grow into maturity. And I think obviously the obvious question is, how do we do that? How are you in your ministry training up leaders and raising up leaders? Uh, because as you say, there is an incredible need. Well, um, television or media is a tool. Uh, it's a starting tool. They, they say, how can you train people? First of all, television has power, has power to change people. And you see that power in the U.S. Uh, television has changed our culture. You, uh, as an example, gay rights. In, in, in 80s, you couldn't even say that word on public television. Now, there are movies and films that are very gay people are the, are the heroes. So uh, that's gradual. Uh, so the, the television and media has a power to to impact lives, not just for salvation, but also for discipleship. You teach them. The good thing about television, Todd, is you don't need to just talk about it. You can show it. They can see it. You model a house church. You model 
how you treat your wife, your husband on the air and the problem. So modeling and, and teaching to help people grow closer to the Lord and to each other, that's very possible through media. That's second layer. So num- number three is identifying leaders. Once you identify leaders, it could bring them to an online chat room, small groups, one-on-ones even, and train them in a deeper way to be leaders for Christ. So, uh, and eventually you may even bring some of them outside as we have in the past to, to train them. But there is a way. The technology here right now uh, makes it possible to do things that was impossible in the past. We are in a technology war. The enemy is using technology to stop the gospel. We have to be wise. Jesus prayed that we will be wise. And we need to be using technology to bypass all those limitations and help the church of the Lord in close countries, in Iran and other countries, to grow. One of the things the government is doing now is they're arresting leaders. Uh, They're not so worried about, you know, maybe the new convert or the guy who just got saved or who worships in their house all by themselves, but leaders are somebody they consider a threat. So how do you take those leaders who have that vision and prepare them to face persecution? It's very hard because of fear and limitations the government. There are two kinds. Um, leaders who contact us, there's some who say, this is too dangerous. I want to follow the Lord, but I can't be in touch with you, especially those in the government. And we have had people, uh, high-profile people who come to Christ. They they don't want that. They say, "Do give me as much as you can through television. I'm going to study on my own. Um, but but I can't be on in touch regularly right. in touch with you because it's too dangerous for them. Too, uh, too dangerous for them. Uh, but the co- more common people, uh, again, to, there are a certain number of people who are afraid. But there's some number of people who are not afraid, and then we are in touch with them more directly, training them through uh, secure chat rooms and uh, even face to face sometimes. Yeah. Are there times when you're more afraid than they are? When you're like, Whoa, that happened you? all the time, Todd. You know, <laughs> especially young people, amazing. Just they are something has has left them spirit of fear, and the reason is they have experienced something that we can only talk about. Uh, experience something in their for in their teens, the depth of hopelessness and vanity of life, and they don't care. Uh, let me say. They, they are fearless because they don't care about death. Um, I remember uh, people calling, sometimes our phone counselors say, be careful, be careful, don't call from your home. The, the government may be watching, you know, he listening in, you got in trouble. Many times they, we hear this, don't worry about me, you know. Wow. You, that's why you said, we're more, sometimes we're afraid. <laughs> and they say, we said, why, are you, why aren't you afraid? They said, we were dead anyway. We were dead. And Jesus saved me. I'm not afraid of death. And by the way, one of them was saying, it's the government that's afraid of me. I'm not afraid of them. That's wow. why they put us in jail. They're afraid of this gospel, the power of gospel. I have no fear, but they have fear. Dr. Hormoz, we've run out of time for this week's episode, but I wonder if you'd be willing to hang around and we will talk again next week uh, about what God is doing in Iran. 
Gladly so. I have so much more to share. If you'd like to know more about Pastor Hormoz and his work in Iran, check out Iran Alive Ministries online at iranaliveministries.org. Or you can text the word Iran to 99629. IranAliveMinistries.org or text the word Iran to 99629. You can connect with Voice of the Martyrs Radio online at vomradio.net. Listen to every episode of VOM Radio, access this week's show as a podcast, and give us your feedback about the program. That's vomradio.net. Dr. Hormoz will be back with us next week to talk more about what God is doing in Iran, and he'll share the amazing story of the response of a young house church leader after he was tortured by Iranian police. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.